All right, we are rolling now. Counting us down. Three, two. You're listening to Missing Out with Lex Michael and Tari J. Let's start the show. Hey there, Misketeers. Welcome back to Missing Out. I am Tari J. I am Lex Michael. If this is your first time listening, what we do here is we introduce each other to different media, whether it be movies, music, television, spoken word, books, experiences, things that have built us up as people, and we hope that in sharing it, it builds you up. We are the retrospective that is introspective. Uh, This episode of the Missing Out Podcast is brought to you by the three or four hamster pellets that got dropped into your coffee. Mm -mm Mm-mm-mm. Drink that sweet, sweet hamster shit. Uh, I don't know if those were hamsters. I don't know, like, how big hamsters are, but I feel like those had to either be gerbils or guinea pigs. I don't know if they were hamsters. But didn't he say, he say he has the thing, he has the business about, like, the, the gerbils are more streamlined, right? And the hamsters are fluffier. That's what he says. But, like, I don't know. They looked like guinea pigs to me. But... That's neither here nor there. We are talking about the 1996 film, The Nutty Professor, which is a remake of the 1963 film that was created by Jerry Lewis, which is in turn a adaptation of the Robert Louis Stevenson 19 or no 1886 novella the strange case of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde this film is starring many versions of Eddie Murphy uh and also Jada Pinkett wearing a pretty good wig wig not too bad um you know James Colburn is in there Dave Chappelle in one of his earliest roles crazy uh it's it's a star-studded baby and so i guess i brought this not i guess because i was there (laughs) i brought this for our final week of cinema lit 101 boop 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 so i will pitch it really quickly this one's gonna be hard to pitch because it's an older comedy Mm -hmm. but i will say that if you love peak Eddie Murphy, uh, this is this showcases all of the things that made Eddie Murphy a memorable actor slash comedian. Uh, he puts so much character in every character that he plays. I will say also that even though there is a lot of uh, what I would qualify as fat shaming in this movie, there's actually another uh, aspect of it that makes you reevaluate how you view fatness in our society and as a kind of a modern-esque take on the weight loss industry. So, uh, I mean, we'll be talking about that so in depth, but I think that it's worth a rewatch just because I assumed that it was, wasn't was going to hold up as well as it did, but it actually does. There's a, a pretty good message to it. Guys, check it out. And also you ladies, and also you non-gender conforming people. Check it out! Everyone, check out The Nutty Professor, because it gets pretty nutty! Lex, had you seen this before? Uh, yes, I had very, I'd seen this before. Uh, I was, I want to say, probably seven, seven or eight years old the first time I saw this movie. And I have not seen it in many, many years, despite thinking of moments from this movie on a semi-regular basis. Uh, but... 
watching it this time, I had, I think, a similar experience to the one you are describing, which is, yes, there are a number of elements to it, a couple of jokes in particular, that it being an older comedy don't necessarily hold up. And yes, the the fat shaming elements that you were describing are, are definitely present. But I, too, was really surprised at how much of the movie did hold up. And more than that, I was really surprised at the sort of emotional reaction that I had to the story being told and how emotionally invested I became in the character of Sherman and how I ended up really like powerfully uh, feeling for this dude in a way that going in and knowing exactly what the movie was um, and knowing that I'd seen it before, I was definitely not anticipating. But this movie worked so much better for me on multiple levels this time than I had expected. And yeah, we'll definitely get into that. But something that I also find really interesting is like, yeah, like you you sort of referred to this as peak Eddie Murphy. And it very much is, right? Like almost everything that Eddie Murphy does so well, almost everything, is on display in this movie. But something that I found sort of interesting is that he was coming off um, I think what a lot of people would consider his own sort of fallow period. Like for the first half of the 90s, he had done, you know, I think it was like another 48 hours. He did Boomerang, like Beverly Hills Cop 3, Vampire in Brooklyn. So he was coming off a run of movies that had not done super great box office and they had not been, um, you know, hailed widely by critics. So this was, I think, as far as a lot of people were concerned, a bit of a return to form for him and what he was able to do with the character of Sherman Klump, but then also by extension playing Sherman's entire family was sort of create what to me, like I feel like modern Eddie Murphy or the version of Eddie Murphy that existed for most of my life was sort of birthed in that moment. I um, mean, I think he does a phenomenal job. And again, we'll, we'll sort of get into it as we talk about sort of the plot and all of the uh, individual characters, but the performance Performance is plural. He's giving in this movie, despite being, yes, they're big and broad and comedic, but also really good. Like, not for nothing, like his Sherman Clump is a really excellent performance. And of course, you know, he's under these layers of Rick Baker makeup that enable him to very literally sort of disappear into the character. But the character he creates feels completely divorced from. Eddie Murphy as we know him from something a lot closer to, you know, when he shows up as the buddy love persona, but he completely disappears into this character. And the performance he gives, I think is really quite lovely. And again, like worked for me mm -hmm. on levels that I was not anticipating, but we, we got to get into all that. We got to start digging. We got to start poking ourselves with all the little needles and then pull the needles out and be like, Ooh, there's information on this. And then like shake it off. I'm, I'm, I'm digging what you're saying huh ah i uh, extended your metaphor <laughs> i would agree i think that like this was a, a really big culmination of a lot of what he had been i guess known for in that like he did multiple characters in coming to america um and i think that was the most characters that he had done uh until i guess Vampire in Brooklyn, which we talked about on this a while ago, which was his last movie before this one, which he did about three different characters, but those were an extension of the character he was playing because he was a shapeshifter. But in this one, he really just got to go insane. And it was a thing that he had right. to fight for. Like they originally wanted different people to play his family. And he essentially wanted it so badly that he 
had the makeup artist do a basically like a dry run that he recorded of him as the grandma character and the father character and I think also the Sherman character and gave it to the producers as a demo to show them how it could work in effect because having him be multiple characters effectively means longer shooting time because you know you have to do the coverage you have to do the makeup which also took a long time for them to do and you have to do the reaction shots and things of that sort so um he wanted to prove to them that it was going to be worth the time and i think ultimately it was like they did think about cutting the the clump family scenes but I think that they're integral in determining who the Sherman character was. So I'm really glad that they were able to go forward. Very much so. And of course, they end up becoming some of the most memorable sequences in the movie, so much so that when they decided, okay, we're going to do a sequel, they built that whole movie around the Clump family unit. You know, the, so the scenes in terms of how effective they are, and I, as just mentioned, think they are quite so. Your mileage may vary depending on how amenable you are to say, you know, uh, body humor and stuff like that. And I couldn't help but think while I was watching those scenes. um, You remember, you've seen Tropic Thunder, right? Uh huh. Yeah. So you remember at the beginning of Tropic Thunder, they have those fake trailers and the Jack Black character is uh, in a movie that they're advertising, a sequel to a previous film where he's playing an entire overweight family that's incredibly gassy. So that is very clearly a direct reference to Eddie Murphy playing the entire Clump family uh, sitting around the table farting. And so the thing is, like, that's be- the, the Tropic Thunder joke is barely an exaggeration at all. So your mileage may vary based on that. But having said that, that element aside, yeah, I mean, it's, it's not it's no wonder that when they decided to do another one, they said, well, we're going to build it around those characters. Uh, although, as you say. Like, I would imagine that made every shooting day very complex. Right. And that, speaking of the the farting nature of those scenes, Jerry Lewis was a producer on the Nutty Professor remake, this film that we're talking about. But I guess when he saw how fart-oriented those scenes were, he decided to kind of distance himself from it. Yes. And (laughs) I think there was a quote, I'm not, I, I don't, remember what the exact quote was but he's like oh man sometimes when you just when you remake something it's all it's all downhill because i just you just i just did it perfectly the first time (laughs) the version i saw and like i appreciated that the quote that i think i saw he like still says nice things about eddie murphy like it's Uh very much like look i still have all the respect in the world for eddie yeah i I shouldn't have done that but i i like the message of this one so i think it was worth redoing despite all the farts because it was a lot though like those were long sequences because they when you got eddie murphy doing a bunch of eddie murphy stuff you want to let him go you want to just let him be as crazy as possible and you'll fix it in the editing room but uh, those sequences they were a lot now i think we as grown-ups uh don't have as much bodily humor oriented humor as as a kid, I'm sure that I was like, "Yeah, dude, him farts, baby." But as an adult, I'm like, "All right, let's let's get past the farts and let's let's do some character building." What are, what are these farts adding to the character? <laughs> right. Uh, well, it says quite a bit about their interiority, Tari. Yep. But I'm. Oh man. Ah, oh, I think uh, t- is that the spoiler? While I hear <laughs> lowering here. down, we can all go home. Oh. Oh. Well. 
oh man, I guess I guess it's time we gotta we gotta start moving on. Sorry, Lex. Oh man, I I was I, I heard your joke. I, I internalized it, but we just don't have time to elaborate. So um, yeah, <laughs> uh, something something I will I will say though. Um, speaking of sort of watching it when you're a kid, so I was I had to be. This came out I was probably six years old, so I had to be maybe seven or eight when I saw it watching these scenes and not knowing going in that it was going to be Eddie Murphy playing the entire family, you would now, now of course you, you grow up watching Eddie Murphy, then you can kind of spot him under a bunch of makeup from a mile away. But at that age, watching this family and like being able to piece together that there is something uncanny about what's happening. But I think you would be forgiven for not knowing immediately if you weren't super familiar with Eddie's sort of ticks as a performer, you'd be forgiven for not piecing together right away that this was all the same actor. Right. And I think that's, it's a, it's a massive testament to the dude. Like it's a, maybe a silly thing to say about one of the most iconic comedic actors of all time. Uh, you know, like maybe this doesn't need to be reiterated and stuff, but like Eddie Murphy's a genius fucking actor yeah. to be able to play what's seven characters in this movie. He's uh what he's Sherman. He's buddy. He's the whole family. So that's another, what four, the mom, the uncle, the dad, and the grandma. And then he's the sort of Richard Simmons type. Um, so he's about six characters in this movie. And every character feels completely distinct from every other character. Even the characters that are direct uh, familiar relations that have overlapping qualities. They still manage to feel completely different from each other. And that is fucking insane. Like, I get that this isn't the type of movie that they give out Academy Awards for. But I'm not kidding when I say I feel like this dude deserves some type of special recognition yeah. for work like this. Because this is not a it's not a massive tradition in cinema of, of actors that can actually pull this off. Like, I'm struggling to think of more than a couple, right? It's like, you know, you can point to... um. Uh, Sir Alec Guinness and Kind Hearts and Coronets, I guess, where he's playing a bunch of different members of this guy's extended family. You could point to like, you know, Peter Sellers, who plays, I think, three characters in Dr. Strangelove. He's um, president, he's Dr. Strangelove, and he's Mandrake. You can point to Mike Myers, right. obviously, who by the time he did the third Austin Powers was playing four characters. But Eddie's doing, what, six distinct characters in this movie. And I feel like, one, that deserves to be called out. And two fuck man like he's he's good he's very good <laughs> and also to create a character while you have the character of buddy who's very brash who's very aggressive um who's very you know that that part of eddie's persona you also have you know you have these clump family members that are very larger than life they're very over the top they are very much characters but then you have the character of sherman who's obviously yes he's very much a character in his own right but sherman feels like a genuine three-dimensional guy and there is none of the buddy character in him at all and i think that the transformation that he is able to play a is of course pretty spectacular and and certainly very impressive mm -hmm. but also he really does create in sherman a character that at least for me it was impossible not to genuinely feel for and that sort of speaks to the emotional experience i had watching it this yeah. time because all right so i i grew up with a bit of a weight thing and i still have sort of body image issues to this day and i'm now old enough that i have a little bit of perspective on that um, and on myself where those things are concerned that i maybe didn't have the last time that i watched this movie and so my heart broke for Sherman over and over and over. Um, and I just like, he's just this like really sweet, 
man. And everybody craps on him for stuff that like is not necessarily his fault. Like we see at multiple points throughout the movie, him genuinely making an effort, not cutting corners, like him putting in the work to better himself. And he still kind of takes all this shit from everybody and, you know, things like that. But I just, he's just such a lovable dude and you just root for him so hard. And when he finally has his sort of, uh, full circle moment at the end. It is so deeply satisfying, especially for, for say somebody like me who has struggled with kind of coming to the same place that Sherman eventually arrives at. But yeah, I just wanted to sort of commend the work in that respect as well, because I think he really did create a genuinely lovely character in this movie full of fat suits and fart jokes. Right. Awesome. Well, I'm going to take that and use that as our sweet jumping off point. If you would like to genuinely connect with this show, uh, what you could do is go on to Apple Podcasts and leave us a rating and review. That would be very helpful for us. It helps us get to the top of the charts. It helps people find us. All that stuff. We'll, uh, we're slowly lowering the spoiler wall as I am giving the spiel. So uh, if you haven't seen The Nutty Professor, it's available on the Stars app. It's available on Amazon Prime for rent. It's available on Hulu if you have the Stars extension. Just Google it. It'll tell you where to find it. I will say that if you watch it on Amazon and you have the captions on, whoever made the captions decided to anytime the n-word was used do a hard r um <laughs> and that's not how it's used uh oh, and boy. i assume if you if if you are in the venn diagram of person who created the captions and you listen to the show um well one welcome this is a safe space i want to tell you that if you do this again it's it's colloquially used with an a instead of a hard r and uh every time that someone reads it with a hard R and it's not used in that context, it uh, hurts me on the inside um, <laughs> and it makes me hate you. And I know that I said this yeah. is a safe space and that's why I'm telling you, uh, the person who made the captions for The Nutty Professor on Amazon or wherever, that um, I don't want to hate you. So please fix, get your mind right and fix your mistake. Or be better moving forward. I don't know if you're ever going to go back. Maybe you work somewhere else. Anyway, that was my PSA. I don't know how the captions are on any other platform, but that's my note. So we will talk about the themes. We're going to talk about the weight loss industry. We're going to talk about the characters right after this break. So stick with us. All right, we're back, and you know what that means. It's time to bust a recap. Pew, 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 or just a single one. I don't know. Uh, it's a weird gun. Uh, so, Lex, um, yeah. <laughs> can you give us a quick recap? All right, so, uh, ladies and gentlemen, the 1996 magnum opus, The Nutty Professor, goes a little bit like this. At Wellman College, uh, we open the movie with a ton of hamsters that have overwhelmed the campus because they have been inadvertently released from their cages by the very girthy, but very sweet and very brilliant man, uh, Professor Sherman Klump, who is chastised by the dean of his school uh, for a number of reasons. Uh, not the least of which is that uh, there are hamsters running rampant on the campus. And one of the hamsters uh, drops pellets into the dean's 
coffee, uh, Hamster Poop Coffee, our sponsor for this week. Uh, check it out. Tastes like shit. So Sherman has invented uh, this experimental formula that uh, essentially realigns your molecular structure to help you lose weight more easily. And uh, the dean essentially wants to use Sherman's research to entice one of their rich alumnus to basically donate a whole bunch of money to the school so that they can do fancy science stuff because everyone loves money. So Sherman ends up falling for a newly arrived uh, grad student who's teaching a class, this uh, student named Carla, played by Jada Pinkett. And one night, the two of them go out on a date to a club. And at the club, there's a comedian played by Dave Chappelle, who's an insult comic. You know, if you're into that sort of thing, he's an insult comic who targets Sherman's weight goes after him really, really hard. And Sherman is publicly humiliated. And that night, uh, in a sort of fit of depression, of emotion, of sadness, of self-loathing, he tests his formula on himself. And he passes out, uh, overwhelmed by the sort of physical sensations of whatever this sort of glowing juice is doing to his body, wakes up to discover that he's lost what, 250 pounds overnight, um, and becomes completely enamored of himself as well. I mean, as, as I think you could understand, right? Like, this is the thing that I've wanted this entire time. Look at me. Holy shit. Goes out, buys a bunch of clothes, buys a really expensive car, but also discovers that the effects are only temporary. So he has to essentially keep re-upping uh, his dose of this serum or he turns back into Sherman. But in his thin persona, he takes on another identity. He says his name is Buddy Love and that he is a confidant of Sherman's who's very involved in Sherman's work. Uh, he starts making a move on Carla, asks her out on a date, and so they go back to the same club where uh, Sherman, now as Buddy, turns the tables on this insult comic, beats him? in front of the audience and punches him into a piano, like actually assaults him on stage physically, which is pretty wild. As uh, he returns to the table after also consuming far more calories than a man of his size presumably should be able to in a single sitting, he begins to transform back into Sherman again. So as to very quickly bail out of the restaurant and he leaves his credit card and his, his friend slash lab assistant guy named Jason sees that this guy who's clearly not Professor Klump is using Professor Klump's card. So he chases Buddy out into the street, uh, jumps into the car with him, which by the way, if you don't know that that is Sherman, that's an insane move to not only chase the dude out, but jump into his car with him. That could have gone a number of terrible ways for poor Jason. Thankfully, it is in fact Professor Klump who transforms back into himself in front of Jason. So now Jason is in on the secret as well. So the Dean is trying to get money for Sherman's research and has set up a meeting with Sherman and this, uh, this guy, Harlan Hartley, which is very much like a 90s sitcom rich person name. Harlan Hartley is going to be meeting with them at the Ritz so that he can essentially be explained Sherman's work and will hopefully be enticed uh, to fork over the cash. Instead of coming as Sherman, Sherman comes as Buddy and Carla asks, uh, thinking that this is the correct, helpful thing to do, where's Sherman? Well, Sherman's not here. You know his work, right? Somebody's got to explain it so we can hopefully get this grant. This is in everybody's best interest, including Sherman. And so why don't you, you know his research, why don't you go talk to Harlan and, and maybe you can kind of get this all sorted, which he does, but also in doing so takes credit for all of Sherman's work and insults a room full of people who have, you know, different type bodies. It's very mean. He also, while he's there after giving his presentation, uh, basically picks up three women, which 
very understandably offends Carla. Carla leaves him there. And Buddy goes back to Sherman's house and basically has this gigantic house party. Carla shows up at Sherman's house the morning after, at first to apologize for what she perceives as her fault, but then it turns into a sort of disgusted confrontation when she believes that Sherman is much like Buddy in terms of uh, potential toxic overlapping personality traits. But this is not the only bad thing that happens to Sherman that day. Um, Not only is he now being kicked out of his home, he's being evicted because he violated the noise ordinance. He has also been supplanted at his job by Buddy Love. So Sherman makes a choice. He says, you know, uh, my fixation on this persona, my drive to be this, this other version of myself, this has all gone way too far. And my life is coming apart at the seams. And so I am going to, uh, in effect, destroy Buddy Love by dumping all of my formula because I really, I need to reclaim my life. I need to reclaim my work. I need to reclaim my relationships. So he's dumping everything. And then he says, you know what? Cool. No more Buddy Love. And what I'm going to do is I'm just going to go back to my sort of miracle shake and I'm going to do it the right way. I'm not going to cut corners and I'm going to sort of make a better me the way I'm supposed to. But Buddy Love, anticipating this move by Sherman, has spiked his cans of the miracle shake with large quantities of that formula. And so Buddy reemerges, knocks Jason out, locks him in a closet and goes to this sort of alumni ball where Sherman is to, uh, again, sort of make a presentation to Harlan Hartley and sort of seal that deal. Here's, here's the thing, though. The si- there's a side effect of this serum. There's a side effect of this serum that maybe Sherman Klump didn't key into ahead of time. And this side effect is that, yes, while the weight disappears, while the 250 pounds shoop, go away, the testosterone levels present in Buddy Love spike to a ridiculously high level. They're spiking by the end of this movie to something like 60,000% of the normal amount of testosterone. So Buddy's plan, knowing that this will kill him if he if he sort of takes a ridiculous amount all at once, says, I'm going to take this amount now, and I'm going to take this amount later, sparing my life, but permanently ridding myself of the Sherman Clump persona. I'm going to get rid of him. I'm going to be Buddy Love forever. Jason finally makes it to this alumni ball. He breaks out of the closet where where Buddy Love has imprisoned him and tries to put an end to it, gets beaten up again. But then Sherman starts to resist from inside of of Buddy. And they have this, their their, uh, confrontation from Jekyll and Hyde is essentially this big, strange CG monstrosity of body parts getting bigger and smaller and Eddie Murphy punching himself in the face. It's, It's pretty spectacular. And eventually... Buddy Love is defeated, and Sherman stands in front of everybody, feeling well, feeling uh, quite a bit, but sort of confesses what has been done, explains how it's a byproduct of his research, and explains to everybody how he has finally come to realize that while Buddy was who he thought everybody wanted him to be, who he himself thought he wanted to be, in fact, what's far more important is that he is true to himself and that he finds a way to love himself regardless of what he thinks other people want because he's okay the way he is. You know, he, he'll make his, his choices and he'll take care of himself, he'll do the right things, but he is who he is and he needs to love and accept himself for the person that he is. And what ultimately comes to pass is that he gets his job back the grant is given uh, because the James Coburn character, Harlan Hartley, thinks not only is he brilliant, but he's also a gentleman, which he is. 
And even though, and I like this, even though they do not make explicit in any way that Sherman and Carla are going to have any kind of romantic relationship, they do mend their friendship and they end the movie having a really lovely dance together at this alumni ball. And I think that's nice. Also, you'll notice that when I was breaking down the plot of this movie, didn't actually mention uh, the Clump family, which I think is somewhat telling. And I do think, yes, I can see why maybe producers felt you could excise those scenes because they really don't move the plot forward in any meaningful way. Having said that, that's where you get half the movie's personality and stuff. But that uh, is essentially the Nutty Professor in a nutshell. Consider that recap busted. Just like Buddy Love did on those three women. <laughs> it's funny that, uh, that you say that. Uh, one, gross. And two, <laughs> uh, something else Something else that I kept thinking to myself while I was watching this movie is that if this was a porn parody of itself, you would not have to change the title. Oh, gross. That's also gross. This is great. I like this. <laughs> We've reached new lows. I do. Something happened, man. Like midway through that uh, that recap, I just started breaking a sweat. And now I'm just like the whole tenor has changed. This is a different kind of show. We're, this is the after dark version. Oh, yeah. The sun just went down. The sun went down midway through that recap. And like somebody listening is like, yeah, you're right. He definitely started sundowning during that recap. Nah, bro. You got you because you got those high testosterone <laughs> levels. Ooh, baby. Before I do what's the difference, um, I, I did want to talk about high testosterone because uh, this movie is about science. And so I thought I would talk about how how it's wrong in that if he had too high testosterone, like that much testosterone, he'd be disgusting looking because all of his hair would fall out except for like his body <laughs> hair would grow long like yes his his sex drive would still be very high but also he'd break out an acne all over his body i mean he'd still have a high uh like high appetite and all that stuff but also um his his sperm count would be super low his his blood pressure would increase like he would die so he'd be he'd just be a screaming cronenberg monster Pretty much. Yeah. Um, and I would be there for it. If they make a remake, <laughs> Bloomhouse would do it, and that would be the whole thing. It's pretty much the fly, yeah. <laughs> Although, okay, so since you brought that up, though, yes, obviously the science uh, makes comp- no sense whatsoever. But it does work, uh, I would say, metaphorically, right? Because much like in the original, and we'll talk about the, the what's the difference, but much like in the original Jekyll and Hyde, right, like the Sherman and Buddy characters, it's it's two different elements of Sherman's personality, right? Whereas Sherman himself is sort of the reserved, a little bit shamed, insecure, shy guy. Buddy's like his Tyler Durden. You know what I mean? Like Buddy is the guy who wants to be. So he's brash. He's aggressive. He is like testosterone incarnate. So yeah, even though that science is completely preposterous, it does work on a sort of vaguely metaphorical level. Right. Like, yeah, he he has all of the mood aspects of high testosterone, just not the like presentational aspects of it it would be fucking amazing though if he was like this giant tumorous like resident evil style monster and still doing all of the exact same things that buddy love does in the movie <laughs> right and he'd be like spandex <laughs> oh spandex <laughs> oh guys look how much i'm eating <laughs> yeah, like he gets up on stage at the club and literally just like <laughs> 
shreds Dave Chappelle with like giant claws and and like his thousands of sharp teeth and shit. But then like after he finishes, he like grabs his heart and his liver and he's like, oh, this is very hard on my body. Oh, I have a headache. Oh, boy. Oh, but, but I still want to fuck, though. I still, I still, I'm still down to fuck, guys. Oh, man, are my feet swelling? Oh, jeez, everything hurts. <laughs> But I sure showed him. And like, Jason, when he figures out that Sherman is doing this and turning into a tumor monster, he's like, Professor, why do you keep doing this? It gives me so much confidence. Oh, boy. I feel so good about myself. Like, I guess it's the inverse, right? Like, he tries to create a scenario where instead of having to create an alternate persona that's more like he wants to be, he creates an alternate persona that is so far from what he wants to be that when he returns to his normal self, he's like, this is not so bad. (laughs) Yeah, it's like the uh, roller coaster experience. You know, you go on the roller coaster and you're like, I felt like I was going to die. So regular life feels normal. But yes, I think it's time to do what's the difference? (laughs) It would be prudent for us to talk about the difference between the book version of Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde, as opposed to the difference between The Nutty Professor, the like 1963 version though if you wanted to we could i've never seen it but what from what i know the main difference is that instead of going from being like a fat person to a skinny person he goes from being like a bumbly stumbly clark kent type to a suave uh, superman type or from a a steve urkel to a stefan urkel If you will. Yes. Uh, basically just goes from being like super buttoned up, kind of dweeby science guy to yeah, super suave, cool, buddy love. I find it more interesting to talk about the original Jekyll and Hyde differences because that story I think is really interesting in that in the original story, a lot of the adaptations now are more based off of kind of the play version, but m- what most people find interesting about the dichotomy of the two characters, but like in the original book, like they're not two different personas. Like essentially the professor is like, yo, I want to do fucking crimes, bro. And he's like, but I don't want to get arrested. So I'm just going to make a formula to make myself look, look different so that uh, I can be a normal guy. But at night I can do some crimes. And uh, eventually his body is like, I like crime body better. (laughs) And he like the, the police start to catch up to him. And so he commits suicide. And I find that interesting in that I think that the Nutty Professor also initially has this piece where it's just like buddy is just sherman with a smaller body and so he's doing all the things that he would have wanted to do which is slightly like his his mental state is altered a bit by the testosterone but like the stuff he does in the early montage is just stuff that like someone who was big and then becomes skinny uh would do like he just tries on new clothes he eats a lot of food he uh shows people his body and then he like uses his like new look 
to to try to hit on people. Yes, I, I will say though, in that montage, there is that moment of him running up the stairs, being like, "I can do stairs, I can do stairs." But we also saw that he could do stairs as Sherman. Right. Yeah, that was like whatever. But I can track the psychology of it, right? Like you you are so convinced that this is who you should be that kind of everything of you that wasn't that becomes less valid in your mind, including the things that you were perfectly capable of before. So actually, like, yes, if you kind of look at the surface, it's a weird continuity thing. But if you kind of dig into it, I actually think you could track it psychologically. Now, whether anybody making the movie was doing so, uh, really, you know what, neither here nor there. Uh, I actually think you can track the psychology of it. Yeah. And I think that, like, I like that they are the same person up until a very trackable point, which is, I would say, like, once the car incident happens, like, these are all just, like, Sherman's id aspects. And, and he remarks that he's like, yeah, I noticed that uh, I, I'm, I don't know why I feel compelled to do a Sherman voice, but he's he um, <laughs> he remarks that he notices that his behavior is is different when he takes the formula and then they trace it back to, like, the reason. But I like that it's still effectively him, which is, I think very much a part of the uh original Dr. Jekyll Mr. Hyde aspect of it. Um and like the the idea of a love interest wasn't introduced until the the play version. Um at at first like the the in the book it's it's two guys who are like, "Man, that guy's so weird." And then they're like, "Oh man, this other weird guy is also like probably doing bad things." And eventually they find out that they're the same person and it was like a really big mystery in the book because you don't know that they're the same person um but like now that everyone's so familiar with it they're like oh it's like the hulk oh boy it's like uh <laughs> i don't know other stuff um well it's what it's like is the nutty professor uh, like not for nothing i i actually feel like now that i think about it uh, I'm sure that by the time I was seven, eight years old, I, I had heard of the strange case of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. But outside of, you know, like a couple maybe animated things, like I think they do, I think they do like a Jekyll and Hyde thing in um, The Page Master, which I'd probably seen before that. But really, for all intents and purposes, this probably was my real introduction to the Jekyll and Hyde concept, which now that I think of it is sort of wild. Yeah. I think that like, it's the same for me with the exception of a Bugs Bunny cartoon where he <laughs> is, uh, I think it's a series of, of like Halloween themed where he's in a, a scary castle. Um, and he meets a bunch of the like classic monsters and non-classic monsters. Um, so at some point he meets a witch at some point he meets Dracula at some point he meets a big hairy red monster. And at another yeah, point, yeah, he meets Dr. Jekyll and, and Mr. Hyde and that like, he keeps talking to the doctor and he'll, like, he'll turn around and then he'll turn into Hyde. Um, so it's a, a whole thing, but like, I don't know if I knew that that was a reference. I was just like monsters. Um, but this, yes, was effectively the first time I had ever seen what is now known as like the confrontation, which is like one persona uh, fighting with another persona within the same body. Right, which is so... Now, of course, I've had confrontation from Jekyll and Hyde stuck in my head since I watched the movie, but it is wild knowing the musical now, and the musical really being my primary point of reference for the story at this point, Yeah, uh, how they handle 
the confrontation in this movie, which, as previously mentioned, is this super bizarre, though admittedly fairly well done for the time, super bizarre monstrosity of big flying CG body parts and Eddie Murphy beating on himself. But yeah. if you know the musical, it becomes that much funnier that oh, this is the approach that they were going with. Yeah. I If I had any editing ability, I would 100% do a... Uh, like a mashup of Confrontation and The Nutty Professor, because I think they'd work so well together. Um, I mean, I guess that's the other big difference is there was never, because they were the same person in the original text, there was no confrontation between the two sides fighting for the same body in that he was just like, oh, I mean, I want to be myself sometimes. And his body was like, nah, I want to be the other shape. And so his, his issue was just that he couldn't. He didn't have enough chemicals to stay in his his previous form, and the police were gonna shoot him because that's what police do. Um, and so, yeah, there was no original confrontation. I like that. Um, I, I think Frank Wildhorn, what, what, whatever the guy who made the uh, the musical. I feel like he really popularized the idea of the like big internal confrontation between the two. Right. Well, and, and also, too, I mean, it, it is interesting how if you know the story and if you know the musical, um, and I, I do think still the musical more than maybe the original book, like you can sort of graft throughout the story, like where a number of the musical numbers would go. Like uh, he has all of the same sort of character beats minus, like you were saying, sort of minus the inclusion of a love interest and stuff like that. Um, and it's interesting how it does hew a lot closer to the text uh, than you would think think um for a sort of really broad person in fat suit comedy i i would say that like i speaking of the musical found myself when he was doing the first run of the uh the serum on himself i was i was in my brain singing this is the moment because like that's right the the idea that was later introduced into this the idea of the jekyll character is that He's trying to do a good for humanity, but no one believes in him or he's just like doesn't have the fonding or whatever the fuck. And so he has to just experiment on himself, etc. And in the original text, of course, we know that what eventually tips him over into doing so is that Dave Chappelle is mean to him. Right. Of course. Um, there is there. There will always be a mean comedian character. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> that's the one through line in every single version. I love the song where it's you so fat. <laughs> <laughs> and, like, and Henry Jekyll, like in the original stories, looking down at himself, like I'm not that fat. Am I? And it's so right. like, it so shakes his confidence. Like it's still about body image issues, but it's even, it's even more tragic because he is gaslit into perceiving things that aren't there in the first place. That's why he end up, ends up doing crimes. <laughs> <laughs> So speaking of the Sherman character trying to do a good, yes. um, I really want to talk about what his specific science is and which will take us into kind of the theming of the movie, which is that the science that he is trying to enact is that it is known, despite what everyone will tell you, that like your genes determine how fat exists on your body and there is effectively an and i would say like an ideal weight 
that your body wants to achieve at any given point in your life, it is either more or less efficient depending on how old you get. It becomes harder to lose weight or maintain a a smaller weight depending on your genes as you get older. So there are a lot of biological factors to how weight works. And it's not just like an individual choice thing. Like there are specific choices that you can make that will make your body healthier or less healthy, but weight is less of a factor in those two things. I mean, sometimes, yes, you can get to a weight that affects your body's ability to process insulin, or you can get to a weight that your your body finds like your it's harder on your heart or your liver, etc. But those are separate factors. And so like, your your weight is a contributing factor to that aspect. Uh, I say that because we have a billion dollar, I want to say, I think I looked it up. Let's see. We have a $72 billion weight loss industry in the US alone as of February 2019, where these are predatory industries that are specifically targeting people spreading a narrative that like, fat equals unhealthy and fat is like if you are fat you are worth less and these are empirically untrue um there's a a multitude of evidence that you know your your weight is not a determining factor it is not the determining factor in terms of how healthy you are and in terms of a person's value being fat does not take away from that you are not less of a person if you have fat on your body. Like, it is absurd of you to think, not you as the listener, but like, it is absurd of a person to believe that because it is untrue. Right. Very much so agree very much with everything you just said. The, the one thing I think I would add, this is to your point, you could be forgiven maybe for being confused on this point because so much of our society and not just this this massive, massive industry that you refer to, but so much of our society seems to be geared towards shaming people for not falling into a very specific and very narrow category of body type. And it's something that you actually see in this movie um, a couple of different times. Sherman having to sort of grapple with maneuvering through environments that are very clearly designed with one body type in mind um, and how a unnecessary that is, but how sort of you, you couldn't be blamed for internalizing a negative message about yourself at a certain point. Now, whether or not that message is in any way accurate. And as we, we agreed, it, it isn't, it's a really terrible thing to instill in somebody, but we as a society, we, we historically are, are real good at getting people to sort of internalize shame for not being X or Y, whether or not that thing is actually the ideal, the sort of uh, uh, plateau that everybody seems to insist it is. And those moments of, of Sherman, like when they're at the club and Sherman is trying to get to the table and everybody else is packed so closely together and he's trying as hard as he can not to bump into anybody and to sort of make, cause you know, he's a shy character. He doesn't want to create any problems, no confrontation. He does already feel such internalized shame. And the moments like that in the movie, like that's like at the beginning of our conversation, I was talking about sort of the emotional response that I found myself having very unexpectedly to this movie. And I found myself like actually affected by those moments, like so feeling for this man, like I completely understand how you 
got where you got. Because look at the way society is telling you you should be. Look at the way the media is telling you you should be. Um, we haven't mentioned yet that that throughout the movie, Sherman has these sort of fantasies, these dream sequences where he is inserting himself into sort of uh, uh, various scenarios from media he's absorbed. But it's all informed by his insecurities because a lot of that media is still reinforcing the same messages. It hurts, man. Like it, it's because of how fucking real it is to see those moments uh, sort of depicted fairly honestly, I would say. Like, I, I don't know how you felt about those moments. I do think if you're an audience member who's not maybe the most sensitive, maybe you just find them just, I, I don't know, funny on their face. But to me, they, they didn't feel like the joke was necessarily at Sherman's expense. Like it didn't feel like, ha ha ha, he's fat. It felt like maneuvering is genuinely a, a struggle for this guy. Right. You know, like it, it felt very human and very, yeah, like I was saying, surprisingly affecting. To yeah, me. no, I think that they were very poignant into, in terms of people's genuine fears about how their body presents and like, because you take them specifically at face value, let's say. So the first one was this fear that he, as a bigger man, would crush the the person that he loves, which, I mean, I'm sure that if you are a bigger person, like, you are, as you were saying, like, more aware of your surroundings and more aware of how your weight affects the things around you. And we haven't really built a society that caters to people of a uh, bigger size. And so... I think that that's a like a, a thing that people who deal with their weight like think about all the time. Like no matter how big or small they are, they will always have those those ingrained fears that you know we as a society have started to or have always I guess been pushing upon them. And and his other fear this this idea that he will never stop gaining weight and he will eventually just become this big monstrosity that people will will mock and fear or feel like he will feel unloved because he is trapped in this body that won't stop gaining weight. Like these are real fears that I think that people have. And I think that it, it even though it addresses them in a like a big hyperbolic way, I think that it it's still pretty grounded in the way that this character feels and how people relate to him. Very much so. Uh, to be somebody who is constantly shamed for not being able to, uh, I guess, slide more easily, more efficiently into a world that is sort of designed to exclude people like him in the first place. You know, if you're somebody who has ever struggled with weight, whether or not it's an ongoing struggle for you, I, I think a lot of that is very relatable. I grew up with weight issues. And it really does a number on you the way that you are sort of treated as as something to be shunned even if you're not necessarily big enough that that you run into some of like the maneuverability issues you are taught to be ashamed of yourself from a, and, and especially if you struggle when you're a kid you are taught that you are really i mean you're taught by people that you're disgusting you're taught that you sh you are lesser you're taught that you won't be loved the way other people will be loved and it really uh as you may imagine fucks you up right. and so when i see what sherman is going through it's like you know who that has felt that at some point you know uh who who can't relate to 
the the idea this this fantasy of I can just drink a magic potion and I'll just be who everybody wants me to be. And it's not even about the weight necessarily, right? Like you can, you can take weight out of that equation and you can sub in sort of any other point of insecurity because really fundamentally what it's all about is I just want to be loved. I feel like I am not worthy of love and I so desperately, so desperately want to be loved. And this fantasy that you can just drink a magic potion and now I'm the person that everybody will love. Um, it's fuck. Like when I talk about having an emotional reaction to this movie, like this weird fat suit fart movie, um, <laughs> that's kind of what I'm talking about because it, it hit home. Yeah. You know, like I have not sort of had as much of a struggle with my weight since I was younger, but still I have real severe residual body image stuff. And so watching this movie, I'm like, oh my God, like, uh, look, obviously this is not an accurate depiction of my true lived experience, but it's, it's so much more human and so much more relatable than I think you'd, you'd reasonably expect from a movie like this. Yeah, I would agree. I think like, that's, that's the big thing I was getting at at the very beginning where even though there are some, I would say like fat shamey and like very 90s style jokes like and i i want to say that like all the jokes that reggie dave chappelle's character were using were just like old recycled like yo mama so fat jokes so like they were right. fucking lame at the time anyways but the movie still has a super grounded real feel that you can relate to i think that it is almost i would say that it's pretty timeless like that the the feelings of being trapped in your body and and wanting to be someone different but ultimately learning that if you really want to be loved and and exist in the and and truly feel that love you have to love yourself as well i love it i also speaking of love i i want to say that like We've talked about the giant predatory weight loss industry, and the same study that I talked about has noted that because there's been a big body positivity movement, that gross industry has been losing money, and I love that. Yes. I think that body positivity, that whole movement has been integral in in people really seeing people as people as opposed to just like collections of of meat and and really taking back the label of like fat and making it something that is just a an adjective and not something that is used to hurt people right so one of my favorite body positivity uh tiktokers is hannah talks bodies that's hannah with uh nh on both sides underscore talks underscores bodies um, my good friend and roommate, Yell Teagle, is also a really great body positivity advocate. And if you need more body t- positivity advocates, feel free to hit us up on our Twitter and we will share with you links and things of that sort. But before we talk about our Twitters, Lex, do you have any final thoughts before we wrap up? Whoa, we're there already. This felt fast. Um, you know what? Yes, I have one one thing I want to throw in because I mentioned 
despite not having seen this movie in many years, I do think about moments from it with some frequency. The the biggest, most prominent one for me, and I swear I really do think about this semi-regularly, is uh, Larry Miller, who plays the sort of sniveling suck-up Dean, who's, who's super obsessed with getting James Coburn's money. Uh, there's a moment somewhere midway through the movie where he is especially exasperated with Sherman and is essentially making a a pretty explicit threat if he does not uh, sort of perform the way he needs to to help get this grant money. And he says, I will kill you. And I don't mean that euphemistically. I mean, I will literally kill you. I will uh, put my hands around your throat and cut off your air supply until you pass away. And I think about that, I swear to God, probably a couple times a week (laughs) at minimum and have, I swear to you probably a couple times a week since I was seven or eight years old. Yeah. Don't know why, but that made a real big fucking impression on young Lex. I mean, it's a, it's a very good moment and the way that they like bring it back when buddy repeats his words back to him, I thought was a really good way of paying that off. I think that this whole movie has a lot of quotable moments, a lot of just like, very like I hesitate to describe it as earwormy, but like things that stick with you, like even for me, the, the way that the assistant says professor is it that sticks to me in my brain. <laughs> I mean, everyone is all about the mother characters, Hercules, like that was such a big thing at the time. Yes, I, I was my, my one bit of disappointment is that the line that I was most looking forward to, uh, which is uh, Billy D, Billy D, Billy D clump is not in this movie, but is in fact in the sequel. Oh, yes. I had that moment with uh, beef in your taco, uh, which I guess is <laughs> yeah. part of the second one as well. But there's still a lot of good stuff in this, you know, very much so. Having said that, don't think for a second that I'm not watching Nutty Professor 2 The Clumps tonight. <laughs> Good, as you should. Give Eddie Murphy that money. I'm going to sit. I'm going to put my feet up. I'm going to drop some hamster pellets into my coffee. I'm going to sit. I'm going to enjoy. Because that one has like even more body humor and stuff in it, doesn't it? I would assume so, yeah. Hamster shit coffee is going to go great with Nutty Professor 2 The Clumps. I hate it. I hate it so much. Lex... Why? Where can people find you to ask you why you love hamster shit coffee so much? <laughs> I'm on Twitter and Instagram at the Lex Michael. I also do a podcast with my partner Marianne Ramish. It's called Friends with Benefits, where we take a look at the massive pop culture juggernaut that is the television series Friends, of which she is a very big fan and of which. I am very much not, but I am having a real good time talking about it. Uh, You can watch the show along with us. It's streaming now on HBO Max. We talk about it from a fan perspective and a critical perspective. Friends with Benefits, you can find it wherever you find your podcast. And Tari J, if people want to ask you why you're being so resistant to that sweet, sweet hamster shit coffee uh, now in cinnamon and blueberry varieties... Where can they find you? Oh, you can find me on Twitter at Tari J. That's T-A-U-R-I-J-A-Y. And the answer, it might surprise you. (laughs) Mostly because I like my coffee black because I'm a fucking man. Um, but most importantly, you can find this podcast at Missing Outcast. That's M-I-S-S-I-N-G-O-U-T-C-A-S-T. That's on Twitter and an Instagram we do not use. Um, so this is the end of September's theme of Cinema Lit 101. Pew, 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 ka-chow, ka-chow, ka-chow. So 
Next month's theme is going to be Goodbye Halcyon Days. It's the beginning of the fall season, a season that is all about change and and uh, new journeys and and the the end of one season and the beginning of a new colder, more pumpkin-oriented season. Um, it is if you are a big Bleach fan, you will know that the name of the month is a reference to that when Orihime had to leave her friends behind in order to uh, save their lives. So we will be doing media that focuses specifically on people beginning new journeys, people who are pulled out of their idyllic lifestyle and pushed into something new, things of that sort. So that will be goodbye, Halcyon Days. And we will be kicking that off. We're going to have our friend Andrew Mena. You may have heard him come onto the show and talk about Monty Python's The Holy Grail. He and I also talked about the Netflix boring anime uh, of whose name shall not be mentioned, but you can go back through the the timeline and find it um but it should be a really fun discussion should be a good way of kicking off that month's journey we look forward to next month's theme we look forward to talking to you guys some more about some dope media we have some fun guests coming up next month so make sure to stay tuned until then this has been the retrospective that is introspective and now you have a new perspective I lost 250 pounds in two days because of how much I fucking vomited. Thanks, hamster shit coffee. Oh, no. Uh, disclaimer. Missing <laughs> yep. uh, Out does not advocate for bulimia in any way, shape, or form. Trigger warning. We do not uh, advocate for throwing up in order to lose weight because that is an ineffective way, and it also ruins your teeth. So, preserve your teeth. Preserve your health. Uh, because it's also bad for your heart. Oh boy.